shift some things. Let's go ahead and go to our Heavenly Father once more in prayer this morning. Dear Almighty God, we thank you that you are the God who has lifted us. You are the God who has saved us and redeemed us. You are the God who has pursued us from eternity past until the moment you brought us to yourself to faith. God, we pray this morning, Lord, that we would continue to praise you, to trust in you, even in the midst of the unknowns. God, we pray this morning not only for us as a church body, but we want to pray for our sister church up in Effingham and New Hope Church there and their pastor, Tyler Sturgey. Father, Lord, we pray for this sister church, Lord, to uh, be a place where your word goes forth this morning, where the people praise you and grow in their love and obedience. God, Lord, may your word build the saints up there. And Lord, may many come to hear the gospel and believe in it for the first time. God, we pray that you will do this work there at New Hope Church. Father God, we also want to lay before you the nations this morning. We want to continue to lift up our voice in prayer for the nation of Afghanistan. Father, brothers and sisters there are suffering. They continue to be having their doors knocked on, their phones uh, taken and looking for Bible apps so that they can persecute them. God, we pray for our dear brothers and sisters undergoing such uh, persecution and suffering, Lord, that you would help them to stand bold and firm in their faith. Help them to not waver or doubt your goodness, but help them to continue to hold fast to what they have in Christ, even if it means they will soon meet you. God, help them endure till the end. Lord, we pray for those that are uh, especially the women and children there, Lord, who are so innocent and yet so abused. God, we pray for your justice and your mercy to go forth in this nation. God, we pray, Lord, that you would stop the Taliban and their ruthless and wicked ways. Bring them to a stop even now, O oh God. You act on behalf of your people and those who have done no wrong. God, we ask and we pray this this morning. God, we also come heavy-hearted in laying these things at your feet this morning for our church body as well. God, we want to continue to pray for Stephen Hall, Lord, a, a dear member of this church, and Lord, we just pray for him, Lord, as he has been in ICU battling COVID. We pray, Lord, tomorrow as they try to remove the ventilator, Lord, that all would go well there. We pray, Lord, for Stefan to be able to recover fully from this virus. We also pray for Mike and Debbie, Lord, as uh, they are away from Stefan at home fighting the virus on their own. God, we thank you that they are beginning to recover and just pray, Lord, that you will continue to strengthen Mike and Debbie and Stefan's hearts, trusting in you throughout it all. God, we also want to pray for our dear brother Larry and Phyllis. God, we pray, Lord, that you would be with them, Lord, as uh, Larry continues to decline in his battle with cancer. God, we pray, Lord, that you would strengthen them, that you would be with them. Lord, help them to cherish the moments they have and to rejoice in you. Lord, looking forward 
to the day where he can stand on those stormy banks and look where his possessions lie, knowing he gets to depart and be with Christ for all eternity. May that give much hope and comfort in the midst of it all. God, we lay these things before you this morning, trusting them to you. Lord, as we also come to your word, we pray, Lord, that we would trust all things to you as we see that you are the sovereign God. And while there's many unknowns in this life, we pray, oh God, that you would do a work in us, that we may trust you in the midst of it all. We ask all of this in King Jesus' name. Amen. If you are an older member of the church, my guess is a majority of you at some point have watched a show by the name of Four Little Letters, N-C-I-S. And I, I hear the chuckle, so I'm assuming yes, many of you have. So you know Leroy Jethro Gibbs is one of the hardest characters to figure out what is going through his head. What is it he wants? He'll look at his team members, expecting something of them, leaving them in the dark. What are we supposed to do? They know they don't want him to, or the team knows they don't, Gibbs doesn't want them to just stand there and do nothing. He expects something of them, even though they aren't quite sure what half the time. And if they stand there, they're going to get the Jethro Gibbs head smack. And if you've watched the show, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Gibbs is a hard man to figure out. But you know, how much of life is that way? How much of our lives are hard to figure out what is going on around us? God works in mysterious ways. He doesn't give us uh, plan A to Z of how things are going to look and go. And yet, we're not called to just sit here. We're called to do something. And that's what I want us to look at this morning as we come to Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and continue our study there. Over the last few months, really, we have been working our way slowly through the book of Ecclesiastes. We've been seeing how the preacher king Solomon is wanting to advance what he has seen and observed under the sun to encourage the people of Israel to walk wisely, namely to see that there's vanity in toil, there's vanity in even that of wisdom, and yet wisdom is far better than that of folly. So Solomon continues to try and lay out, here's the things I've seen. Observe these. Pay attention. Heed the warnings. And that's where we pick up, though, in Ecclesiastes 11 this morning. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. We're going to start there in verse 1 and go through uh, verse 10. Ecclesiastes 1, verses 1 through 10. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who obs observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way, the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child. So you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand. 
For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Now, if I've studied and rightly understand this text, the main point of the text, and therefore, if I'm doing this whole preaching thing correctly, the main point of the sermon is this. We do not know what is ahead in the work of God except that we will stand before him. Therefore, let us rejoice in the life we have and live accordingly. Let me repeat that. We do not know what is ahead in the work of God, except that we will stand before him. Therefore, let us rejoice in the life we have and live accordingly. We're going to unfold this in three points. Point number one, the unknown work of God. Point number two, the life to be lived before God. And point number three, the awaiting judgment of God. So point number one, the unknown work of God. Again, we, we see and have seen that to live wisely is better than that of folly. But the question remains, how do we live wisely in the unknown? How do we live when things aren't certain what is to come? How do we know what decisions to make? How do we apply that wisdom in our lives? And while there's much cluelessness to the particulars, there's not a cluelessness to how we're to act, to what we're called to do, because God has revealed this through his word. He's given us the things that are needed for us to know. And that's what Solomon wants to get out in these first six verses. We never know when disaster may strike. We don't know what is awaiting around the corner. And yet, we're called to live, to move forward. We're not to worry about tomorrow. That's why in Matthew 6.34, Jesus tells us, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We can't worry about tomorrow when we don't even know what may come by the end of today. It's much unknown. And yet, we see here in verses 1 and 2 of our text today, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. In the midst of the unknown, we're not called to just sit there and do nothing. We're called to cast our bread upon the water. Now, some of you might be sitting there, Pastor, are you trying to tell us to go feed the ducks more bread? No, that's not what casting your bread upon the waters is. In fact, I read within the last two weeks, that's actually a bad thing to go feed ducks bread. So take that for what it's worth. Uh, I read it. I don't know truth. I'm not a scientist. I'm a preacher, a pastor. But what it does mean is this. We're to do one of two things. There's two interpretations to this idea of casting our bread upon the water. One 
is that we're called to invest wisely. We're not called to invest everything into one bucket. So a wise investor doesn't go and invest as good as the stock might be right now in something like Google or McDonald's and all your money and your eggs in that one basket because you never know when it may falter. A farmer doesn't go and just plant corn in hopes that his, his farm can survive off that corn. They go and plant a variety of other things because they know not what the year may bring for that crop of harvest. The corn may be bad, but they have the beans to fall back upon, the tobacco or whatever they're growing to fall onto for support. They don't put all their eggs in that one basket. But the other interpretation is that to cast our bread upon the water is to hold things so loose in our hands in this world that we go and as we see others in need, we pass that out. We help them. We support them. We come alongside one another in caring. Whatever the case, commentators seem to take one of these two positions. And yet, I want to argue us, church, we need to actually see the benefit and the value of both. We need to live wisely in being good financial stewards. We don't need to invest everything in one basket and think that this is, is wise living. We use our resources wisely. We invest them. Jesus told uh, parables uh, of those that would go and invest it. The ones that brought back were commended. The one who went and hid in the ground, what, what was said of him? That he was lazy. He should have at the very least gone and put it in the bank to invest. He was a fool. So we need to invest wisely. We need to scatter our resources across. But also, we need to share things in common with others. In Acts 2, 44 through 45, it says, For all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were settling their, or selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Part of wise living is having things in common, especially with those who are, we are in church covenant with having those things in common, caring for one another, meeting those needs, as well as the community and lost around us. We want to serve others. So let us hold our possessions both wisely and loosely, knowing that these things can fade. We don't know when death may come. We don't know what disaster may come. So let us live wisely in the midst of it all. But the other thing that's unknown here is that of the works of God. Look with me there in verses 3 and 4. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Oh, how often time we try to read the clouds. If you paid attention this morning, they canceled the balloon flights within our town because of visibility. But I think there was a thought probably of rain coming. And what happened? I've not seen the rain fall yet this morning. But how often do we try and do this in life? We, we try to look ahead what's coming and prepare and say, you know what, it looks like it's going to rain. I don't really want to go do this thing. I'm going to sit at home because there, it, it's mostly going to rain. And what happens two hours later and nothing it's beautiful, and you missed it. 
By now, it's either hot and sticky or it finally has decided to rain. And now you're stuck as you're getting restless. We misread the signs and the clouds. We await for them and think by withholding our hands, somehow we're wise in it. And yet that's far from the case. We don't know the things of God. We don't know his works. Look at in verse 5, it says, As you do not know the way, the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child. So you do not know the work of God who makes everything. The point here is not for us to try and grasp how the Spirit comes on the bones of a child in the womb of a woman, but it's to see we can't get God's work we can't understand it. We can't presume how it all plays out. There's certain things, as much as we want to figure it out, we can't. We're finite creatures. We're not God. No matter how much we try, we cannot be God and know how everything works out and plays out. These are the things that are left unknown. And yet, we continue to miss this. We continue to miss the fact that God has called us to things to do in the midst. Namely, to worship Him and to love Christ. Romans 16.25 says, Now to Him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. While there's much unknown of God, do you realize the biggest thing has been revealed to us? Namely, that of Christ. The mystery that was hidden from long ago, the mystery that was hidden to David and to Solomon, to Abraham, has now been made known that God was going to save a people through his beloved son, Jesus Christ. That he came to rescue us from our sins and the guilt of death. God has made this known. What is essential for us is known. Yes, there's many unknowns. We don't know. Am I on? Yeah, there we go. Uh, there's many unknowns in life. We don't know whether or not we should go across the street and knock on the door uh, of a neighbor in sense, okay, God, are you going to bless this work? But we are called to go and do these things. We're called to make his word known. We're called to make his name known to the ends of the earth. Do you know that God has called us to be involved in work? That he's called us to be faithful in making his name known? That he's called us to make disciples? So the point is, here in verse 6, in the morning, sow your seed, and at evening, withhold not your hand, for you go not, uh, you do not know what will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. But we're called to sow that seed in the midst of the unknown. We're called to do the work God has called us to. John Frame, a well-known theologian, says, The one who controls all things has the right to demand our obedience. God calls us to work because He is the sovereign Lord. He is the one who created us and who has made us for His glory. And therefore, He has the right to call us to do the work He has sent us out to do. And yet we are called 
Though God is sovereign, we are called to take part in this work. But instead, we sit back too often, troubled by the unknowns. We sit and lay in our beds idle instead of pressing onward. In Daniel 8.27, it says, And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business. But I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. Daniel, who had just seen all the troubling visions that were laid out, was troubled deeply by the unknown of how these things were going to play out. He was troubled by the end, and so much so that it made him sick for days, and he laid there. But he didn't stay there. He got up. He went about the king's business. And yet, how many of us within the church today, in the midst of the unknown, sit and wait rather than getting up and going about King Jesus' business that he has called us to. We're not called to just sit and look up in the sky, waiting for his return and doing nothing. He has called us to faithfully act and to live. Acts 1.10 uh, through 11 says, And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Christ will return and it will be abundantly clear. So instead of us sitting, waiting on when will that day be, wondering, is it now, is it soon? Let us press onward and make the glory of God known. The very God who has sent his son to die for us, to rescue us from our own guilt, our own sin. Let us go and make his name known until our dying breath or until Christ returns. Let us not get caught up in the unknown or when it will be. Let us press onward as the disciples were called. They were called to go and be his witnesses in all the earth. Brothers and sisters, how many of us don't get across the street to share the gospel with a neighbor who is dying and headed to a Christless eternity? Let us be faithful in doing this that God has called us to. It's not our job to figure out whether or not they're going to repent and believe. Our job is to go and to make the glory of God known. Let's be faithful in that. Let's be faithful in the task of discipleship, in building up others up as we point them more to Jesus. If we can't do these knowns, who cares what we don't know? If we're not faithful in the known, how are we going to be faithful in applying God's word in the midst of the unknowns on how to live? Let's be obedient in the known that God has given us. So in the midst of the unknown, let us trust in the sovereignty of God. That he is a good God who has pursued us, who has rescued us, and that we can be faithful to follow him even in the midst of that unknown. But let's shift here gears a little bit to verse 7 and point number 2. The life to be lived before God. So this, we looked at the unknown. Now let's look at, at how do we live. It says there in verse 7, Light is sweet and it is pleasant for eyes to see the sun. Light is sweet. Life is sweet. 
in this life, we're called to enjoy it. We're to see the pleasantness of it. We're to live it out. In verse 8, it goes on to say, in the morning, or looking at the wrong verse, verse 8, so if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. As we live and see the sweetness of life, we're to rejoice in the many days we have in the light, under the sun. The sweetness of the light is that of life. Those are the sweet days. While we live, we're called to rejoice. We're called to rejoice in the things that God has given us. We're called to rejoice in Him. Brothers and sisters, when is the last time we've just paused and been still before God and enjoyed Him? When is the last time we've taken an interest in our hobbies that we find pleasing to God and are able to enjoy God in? For some, this might be just sitting out in, in the backyard looking at, at the scenery around. For others, such as myself, this might be going to hike in the midst of the mountains of East Tennessee and, and seeing the beauty of, of all of creation there. For others, this might be spending time with family and enjoying the gift that God has given to you in them. Whatever means that we enjoy, they're going to look different for each of us. But when have we... Stopped to enjoy those things and to enjoy God in the midst of it. We need to enjoy God in the life he has given us. For some of us, the biggest hindrance to this, though, is we fail to slow down. We fail to just stop. Work gets in the way. Running family around gets in the way. Whatever gets in the way. And we say, I'm too busy to just stop. Do you know one of the most faithful things we can do is stop and rest. We are not infinite creatures. We are not creatures that can survive on no rest and no sleep. It's been interesting the last few weeks in my cohort, we've had to wrestle with the pastor's soul and looking at things such as sleeping, eating, uh, doing things for our own good soul care. And it's kind of hard to, to sit here as Brian Croft challenges us with these things because as pastors especially, each of us want to say, Brian, we don't have time for this. We're, we're trying to prepare three things a week. We, we don't have time to go for a run three times a week. We just don't. We don't have time to sleep seven, eight hours each night. Too many things on our minds. And yet he's like, no. You must, because this is where you need to turn things over to God and let Him do it and entrust Him. Part of us pausing and slowing things down is part of our faithfulness to God because we're not God. He is. We're not. We need to slow down in life and simply enjoy God. Brothers and sisters, I want to challenge you this week. Take some time, build it into your schedule, and let nothing interfere with it. Let nothing interfere with some time to have some silence and solitude with God and simply enjoy Him. Maybe it's for 30 minutes on the back patio in the morning. If you're married and kids, switch times with your spouse. If you've got work, do it before or after work. Do it on a lunch break. Go and sit outside for, a, for an afternoon lunch. 
Whatever you need to do, take some time to simply slow down and enjoy God. Because these are the things that will pass away. These are the moments that we will not get back. We need to take them. We need to enjoy God in the midst of them. Why? Because of what comes at the end of verse 8. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. We need to enjoy the good days because dark days will come. This isn't to scare us, to cause us to panic, but just a reality. This is what it's like living outside of the Garden of Eden. We live in a broken and fallen world. Dark days will be many. In our church family alone, some are facing this even now. One family struggling with COVID, uh, a son on a ventilator in ICU and parents unable to be there. Other church members and their families are battling cancer some more advanced than others. And who knows what else is going on within our church family that either has yet to be made known to the member or even yet to be known to the rest of the church body. Dark days come. Should not catch us off guard. But we should know when they come, how to respond. We respond because we enjoy the good days and we trust in the God in the midst of those dark days. Look down at verse 10 with me. It says, Remove vexation from your heart and put your pain away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. In the midst of darkness, as those hard times come, one of the things we can do most is to turn to our sovereign God in prayer. We put them away. We remove vexation as we lay them at the foot of the cross, as we bring them before our sovereign God. In the darkest moments of life, one of the best things we can do is come to God in prayer. We come to him in prayer because it is prayer is the gift that God has given us that we may communicate openly with him and cast our concerns before him. To pray is to lay those at the feet of Jesus, asking God to work because we cannot. Prayer shows our dependence upon a holy God instead of our independence. Show me a Christian who is devoted to prayer, and I will show you a Christian who is utterly dependent upon the Lord. Show me a Christian who rarely prays or never prays, and I will show you a Christian in name who tries to depend upon their own strength than the power of God. Prayer is the essential means of pushing back this darkness. It's the element we use to remove vexation. It's the element we deal with to put away pain because we turn to the one who is our rock and who is our refuge. We turn the one who strengthens us. But not only is this the case in our individual Christian lives, it's also in the corporate life of the church. Prayerlessness is, fills many churches up. One of the most neglected assemblings of the church is its prayer meeting, if there's one at all. If we're to say we want God to move as a church, 
and yet we're unwilling to gather and to pray for one another, pray for our church body and its unity, pray for our mission that we're called to be upon and advance the kingdom of God? How can we say we're a prayerful church, we're a church that's dependent upon God? Does not that prayerlessness and lack of attending show that maybe we don't really believe and want God to work in the ways we say we do because we'd rather do it our way? Brothers and sisters, when God has moved, not only within our nation, but in history past, it's been through prayer gatherings within the church where people gather together and pour out on behalf of one another and for God's gospel to spread and hearts to be transformed. The prayer meeting cannot be neglected and I say that we want to see God move within. Make the prayer meeting a priority in the week's schedule. Now, some of you have busy things and, and things, I get it. Everyone can't make it every week. I'm not trying to guilt us, but there is a crucialness to that prayer gathering. I tell people there's two gatherings that should be at the top of the priority. Sunday morning, which is when the church is historically gathered on Sunday morning as one body, and the prayer meeting. If you can come to Sunday school, Sunday night, and, and other things, Bible studies, great. Those are great. But make those two the priority because it is in those where we see God work most powerfully throughout history, both here in the United States and around the world. Gather together to pray and make prayer a private spiritual discipline in your own lives. Because this is how we push back in the midst of the unknown. This is how we push back in the midst of darkness. And we need to see this especially as we see what comes in verse uh, 9. It says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. We pray so we can actually rejoice and live. Again, if prayer is the means of handing the things over to God and we fail to pray, then we fail to burden ourselves with these things, thinking somehow, you know what, I can carry it. It's like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress, buried, carrying the weight of, of the pack. He can't take it off because he's not yet made it where God will deliver him. Christians, too often we carry the burdens as if we're the ones to rid the world of them without taking them off and feeling that freedom that we have in Christ and in the sovereign God to say, God, I can't do this. I'm trusting you to do this. And as we fail to, to come to God in prayer and lay these things off, we actually fail to live because we're so burdened down on unnecessary weight. You know, I, I used to be a, a weightlifter in high school and, and even in seminary. And one of the things that's hard is, as you try and push yourself limit-wise in squats, you get the bar on your shoulder and you've got 225 plus on your shoulder and you're going down having to do a full parallel squat, which I'm not even going to attempt to do right now. And you try and come up. You can't come up unless you're able to press that weight up. And that's what we do, though, when we try and do bear this in our own strength. We come under the weight, and the weight crushes us. We need to turn it over to God 
And then we can actually learn to live. We can actually learn to rejoice, O young man, in the youth. Let our hearts cheer in the days of our youth, in the days of our lives. But we can't live until we turn these things over to the Lord and actually delight in God. This is needed. We often come to God as if, all right, God, I don't want to make you angry, so I, I'm going to come and, and do what you say. I, I don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to do what you say. But we don't enjoy Him. We don't enjoy the things He has given us and, and treasuring them up. Part of being a Christian isn't simply being afraid of God. It's to delight in God, to enjoy Him forever. The Christian life is not one that's to be walking robot here. No. Let's enjoy God. Enjoy the one who created us. He even calls us here in verse 9. He says, walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes to enjoy the things that we like. God has given us every good thing on this earth to be done and enjoyed. He's given it all to us to enjoy and to enjoy Him. He's not given us a bunch of rules. You can't do this, can't do that, can't do this, can't do that. No, He has given us boundaries, and that's what we're going to go to in our third point here in a moment. But above all, we need to see that God has called us to enjoy the things that we enjoy so that we can enjoy Him. Now, as we shift to point number three, the awaiting judgment of God, we do need to beware, though. This call to, to walk in our ways of our heart and the sight of our eyes is not a license to sin. It's not a get-out-of-sin-or-jail-free card. To walk in the ways is within the boundaries of God. Again, because He's our Creator. He's the one who made us. He has a right to call the shots, not us. Therefore, to walk in the ways, to, to enjoy the sight of our eyes, is a call to do things in ordinance with how God has called us to, namely throughout His law, and to love Him and to love others. It's not a license to sin. But as we see this call, the, the reason we need to see this is, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. God's going to bring us to a trial before him where he's the one sitting as the judge. He's the one we're going to stand before in that day. This is why we need to pay attention to how we're walking in our ways, making sure it's in accordance to His ways, because we will stand trial before Him. And He's a good judge. He's going to condemn every sin, every wrongdoing, every shortcoming, every wicked thought. He's going to condemn and say, you're guilty. And yet... Even before the trial takes place, God comes and says, I've got a deal for you. I've got a plea deal. Think back to the intro of NCIS. How many times the, the agents try and, and cut a plea deal to catch the bigger bad guy? God's offering us a plea deal, an escape clause, saying, look, this only is as good as your living. You need to take this deal 
while you're still living before your death, turn and believe in Christ. Believe that he died for your sins, that his blood was meant to be shed to cover your sins, your guilt. Believe this deal. Take it. Rest in him, and he's your way out. But you must believe it. You must hold fast to it, or the deal's off. If at any point you turn away from that, the deal's off. The plea deal is only as good as you trusting in Christ and Christ alone for salvation. Take this deal. And for those that take it, when they come before God in that day of judgment, he looks upon them and says, no, you're declared innocent. Though you were guilty, the guilt has been transferred to Jesus Christ, my beloved son, in whom there is eternal life. Therefore, you are innocent. You are declared now righteous. Go and live forever with me in paradise. This is the gift of eternal life in Christ. And yet all those who reject the plea deal will come before God and stand in judgment and face his righteous judgment and saying, depart from you, me, you worker of iniquity and lawlessness. You will spend an eternity where there's gnashing of teeth forever and ever and ever. This is the judgment seat of Christ. This is the judgment seat of an almighty and sovereign God. This is the end for us all. We will all die. We will all stand before the judgment seat. The question, though, is, how are we going to live in the end between? Are we going to be simply sitting back and being faithless as we wait, petrified by the thought of it? Are we going to press onward, trusting in our God, the very God who's given us a way to live and live making him known? Are we going to spend a life holding so tightly to our possessions that we can't seem to see we could serve others with those means or that we can better invest them so that we can meet other needs that'll come? Brothers and sisters, as I said at the beginning of Ecclesiastes, or, or at least early on, money's not the root of all evil. People can do good things with money when it's used rightly. But what's more dangerous is not money. It's our hearts as we sit in slothfulness and idleness and faithlessness. It's hearts that say we trust in God and yet sit on the sideline doing nothing in fear. Let us lay down our lives for the sake of this gospel, the very gospel that Christ laid down his life so that we could come to the point of salvation. Will we believe this and we live in it? Jethro Gibbs is a hard man to understand, a hard man to figure out what in the world he's trying to do and wanting from his team. Just like God has many plans that are unknown. We don't know all that's going to take place. We can't begin to understand it all. But what he has made known to us is that he loves us. He has pursued us through that of his own son. Therefore, our lives should be willing to be laid down to pursue after Christ and follow him and make the name of our God known 
to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you this morning for your word. Father, Ecclesiastes has proven time and time again to be a challenging book. And yet, Lord, I pray that, Lord, we would see the beauty of who you are and to worship you, to delight in you. God, I pray that we as a people, Lord, this week will spend time getting to know you more and worshiping you. Father, I pray that each of us will pause in the midst of busyness and, and everything going on just simply to enjoy you. Lord, help us to enjoy you more. Help us to see our need to turn to you for refuge and strength, even in the midst of the dark days. God, we pray that you will help us to see these truths. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. stand with us as we close together and remember this wonderful truth that our God is holding us. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. 